0: Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. As we celebrated another milestone on the podcast recently, our fourth birthday, the team and I were reflecting on the common thread between the hundreds of different conversations we have had over the years. And we think it's this that if we are to stand the slightest chance of tackling the climate crisis and averting the worst effects of global heating, we need two things. Firstly, collaboration and cooperation, bringing together as many different skills, voices and opinions as we can, which is why at Planet Pod we talk to everyone from XR to bankers, from lawyers to zoologists. The second is hope. So often the narrative about the environment is existential and distressing, but we seek out the hopeful, which can come in so many forms, innovators and entrepreneurs, academics and scientists who are quietly doing radical work to mitigate the effects of climate change. Those who are working to change what we make and how we make it. My guests today are two such beacons of hope. Professor Richard Templer, dear friend of the podcast, someone who has enabled so much innovation over the years, linking radical and hopeful ideas with the funds and skills to develop them through his work at the Grantham Institute and across Imperial College University of London. Richard, a very warm welcome back to Planet Pod. Thank you very much. We're also joined by one of the beneficiaries of his wisdom and work, a graduate of the Grantham Accelerator Programme, Tom Robinson, whose innovation in building Breatherboard won him a place on the climate kick. And he's gone from being an on-site builder to a company builder as founder and CEO of Adaptivate. Welcome, Tom. Great to have you on the
1: podcast. Yeah, it's lovely to be part of it and an honour to, uh, to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Richard, I guess you won't mind if I let Planet Pod listeners into a little secret, and that is that you are about to formally retire from Imperial after a long and extremely distinguished career. So this seems a perfect time to reflect on all your achievements and activities. And I wondered if we could start by going back to the very beginning, you're a chemist. So how did it start and and where?
2: It's much more confusing than that. I'm actually <laughs> I'm a physicist by background, although I, I was the head of the chemistry department. And um, actually, the field that I worked in was biological membranes. So I was sort of a confused scientist of no particular abode. Um, and it turned out that that the stuff that I was doing, although, you know, when I started off doing it, I did it from pure interest, complete blue skies research. But it turned out that it was relevant to um, some of the things that um, you might do in response to climate change. Um, and I kind of blundered into supporting uh, climate change innovation. You know, the, the life is, is a sort of, is a sequence of, of accidents, some of which turn out to be useful, And and I I, I guess maybe my accident was um, being in a bunch, and it was more than one, but a bunch of uh, of seminars where learned colleagues of mine were um, debating the, you know, whether climate change was real or not. And I I found it incredibly frustrating because if you just went and looked at um, the the measurements and the and the science which is in fact very old I mean it goes back to the 1850s or so Tyndall's work and Eunice foots actually as well um, you know it, it, it was it was a bunch of scientists doing what we do which is to probe and to prod and to be skeptical and so on um, but the thing that really got my goat was that it was obvious that it, it you know something was going on something was happening and just debating the science wasn't good enough that you actually had to get on and do something in preparation for tackling the challenge and that that's um I, I can very distinctly remember the 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 lecture that really got my goat and i just sat there thinking you're a bunch of idiots
0: <laughs> and so you were a physicist in the chemistry department but but when you say you kind of blundered into it, you had actually been working on a particular project, hadn't you? I mean, you were working on 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 losing plant matter. Um, is yeah, that right so, to replace petroleum in feedstock? So, so, tell us a bit about that. So, so you know, I know as always, you are downplaying your incredible talents well, and skills, so, but what, what were you? How did that happen? I mean, you just think, oh, I just just you know, there is a need here, or did it just happen by accident?
2: Or? It's it, it is a bunch of, I mean, I call them blunders, accidents. A fortuitous, fortuitous accident, serendipity. So I, I was working on biological membranes and, and some very kind of interesting things about how the fabric of the membrane, um, actually creates a way of controlling cellular existence. Um, and it must have been a very primitive property. So I was really interested in that. Um, and it turned out that that, that, that control mechanism in fact controls how much of the membrane wall is synthesized in any given time and it's the the membrane wall is made out of things called lipids and it's the lipids that that ultimately create coal oil and gas you know they're from plant uh plant materials the cell walls are where all the oily stuff is it gets heated and compressed over millions of years and we end up with Coal, oil, and gas, um, and and it's burning that stuff, and releasing this stored, essentially stored carbon dioxide. It's re-releasing that into the atmosphere that causes the problem. So, if you instead could use plant material that you you grew now, or waste plant material that you had now, and converted that into something to replace both the fuel but also the chemicals that are derived from petroleum. The idea is, could you do that really cleverly in such a way as to reduce the overall emissions? And so that's, that's how I sort of intellectually got into it. But to be frank, it wasn't the intellectual. Th- I mean, I was useful, but that wasn't really what drove me. It was because when you become a head of department, you end up with a lot of power. <laughs> and, uh, you know that, that that I just felt I was going to stand down as head of department and I should use that I did not want to go up the ladder any further than I got I didn't find this the view from the top too interesting um, and I wanted to do something useful with the last years of my career which turned out to be about 15 years worth of working in this area
0: I think you undoubtedly have, and I think you're absolutely right it's that collaborative collective effort and that willingness to cooperate across disciplines and sectors and uh, ideas that's so important, Tom, it must have been quite um an exciting time for you applying to be a member of the of, of the kick um Tell us a little bit about how you got how you got there what how, what your journey looked like
1: yeah sure um I uh, had a circuitous and a typical uh route to this position i'm I'm here by accident really i i was i I did a a, a undergraduate degree and then went to be a kind of professional diehard dirtbag um (laughs) so i lived in a van uh traveling all up and down the west coast of kind of canada and america and and just climbing and surfing basically (laughs) anti-capitalist money in my, my pocket and that's all i really needed um and it was a uh, you know uh, a very cool cool experience and a, and, a, and a book uh that I was given by a friend kind of had a very important impact on me uh which was let my people go surfing the story of a reluctant businessman which was uh the chronicles of Yvonne Schonard, the founder of Patagonia anyhow fast forward a few years uh four years I managed to kind of do that for um you know I then set up a building company here in the UK um and I studied, uh, I kind of got a bit disenfranchised with that. Uh, in, I was kind of a stonemasonry, carpentry, uh, lime work, and focusing on restoration of old properties in the Peter Street where I grew up. I then went and studied a master's in sustainable architecture at the Centre for Alternative Technology. And through that, I developed what's now known as breatherboard um, through my master's thesis, which was basically the design, which was a drop-in alternative to plasterboard, which is the third most used building material in the world that was a biocomposite alternative, but used and installed in exactly the same way. It's fed up with taking mouldy drywall or wallboard out of homes and it not being fit for purpose. And of course, being charged for its waste. And so I started to think differently about this. And at the end of my master's, I um, did some work as a, for, for a friend of mine who grew up in the same town. And I worked in a restaurant with back in when we were kind of, you know, Spotty oiks, um, <laughs> uh, underage drinking as you could do then. Uh, who was Tom Webster? Who who was uh, one of the founders of Grow Up? Who was another alumni of this of the Climate Kick program? And I helped Tom and 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 his co-founder Kate, uh, who have what a, a, a very. You know, clear success story of of this program and Richard's work, and I helped them build their first farm, which was essentially a wooden shed with some wooden framework in it. And they and I was telling them about what I'd done. I said, "Oh, you should you should apply to this Climate Kick thing. It's been great for us." And um, Six months later, I'd been to Valencia, um, come third in the competition, uh, and and uh, which I was a bit disappointed about, if I'm being honest. I hadn't won it, and 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 it goes and it goes from there. It was a it was a truly transformative moment in my life, and uh, was the you know real conception of of adaptivate. So, so,
0: Tom, tell us about the program, though, because I mean, obviously, I know a bit about the program because because yeah. Richard and I did a series to celebrate the anniversary. And yeah. Talked to a lot of the of the businesses, uh, one of which I think went on to win the Earthshot Prize. So, another of Richard's successes. Not plus. Yeah. T-
1: tell us what it is. So, are we- yeah, it's multifaceted. Uh, I, I think it kind of it spans it spans education broadly, but the pillar that I was in, involved in was was innovation and startup scale up. You know, and really what it was, was it was it enabled us to go into a three-stage gate process, which was you know, stage one, stage two, stage three. And you'd build this kind of, take the idea from the back of a fact packet to then try and put it into a business model canvas and start to put the early assumptions around the business case. And in the second stage, you would go and prove those and test those out. And then in the third stage, you'd go and try and find your first customer, essentially. And that would then give you essentially a minimum viable product for you to then go and seek additional funding. Back in the day, it was like, it was the bones of 100 grand, Um, non-dilutive, just super pioneering, very good terms for something such early stage. Um, And it was really alongside that business training that, that ran along the spine of that development that I've just described. You got professionals from European universities and American universities, and you know industry experts coming in and teaching you about the benefits of lean thinking, the benefits of business model canvas, the, the, what's a, what makes a good marketing strategy, and 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 really what it did for me was give me the tools to go from being a builder to building a business of the future that was what I was imagining in in my mind, and I can say with full. Confidence that Adaptivate wouldn't be be in existence if, if we hadn't uh, if we hadn't got that place and come rather disappointingly third.
0: <laughs> you got go, to let it go, Tom. You got to let it go.
2: He does really need to let it go because <laughs> <laughs> I do remember your sad, well, actually quite quite glowery face after after a couple of thinking why are you you came third, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Many of the best companies in the end, don't come first. Can I just say something about, about the accelerator? And Because um, I've had a lot of time to think uh, a, a, about this. Um, as Tom said, it is rather technical language. It's non-dilutive. Really what that means is that there are there are lots of programs around the place um, that support startups um, who, who has, as Tom said, you know, an idea on the back of a fag packet. And they support them to get to the point where they get their first investment. Most of those, I'd say 99% of those take money. Uh, They take shares. So they give you the startup money. And in order for you to get the money, you have to say, okay, I'll give you 7% of of my shares. And the job of those accelerators is to take your company's valuation and treble it. So they are not entirely on your side, if you like. They've got this independent thing that they need to do now. Of course, the best of the accelerators um, are great, and they 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 create um, common purpose with the startup who also wants to have a high valuation. But those accelerators will not want to have five companies making replacement plasterboard, and we. I think felt intuitively and now feel very intellectually that as a public good, you do want to have as many good businesses as you could possibly have doing Things in the same arena, because it's not going to be one company making plasterboard. That's going to, you know, there's going to be many of them, hopefully making slightly different types, all of which reduce emissions and so on and so forth. So that was really that that has been important to us from the beginning. And is now sort of a central plank, which is that we can um, we can propel the creation of, a, of, of these new businesses and a new economy with gay abandon, not with commercial sort of, you know, restrictions. And that, that means we look for really good founders with decent ideas or really good founders with excellent ideas of which Tom was one. I, I personally thought, oh, great. Somebody's thinking of doing something that makes a big difference and it's in some ways, conceptually, at least very simple, as Tom will no doubt tell you over a beer. It's not necessarily that simple, but, um, you know, he's made it work and, and, uh, but scaling it up, getting it out there and selling it, you know, th- those, those are really tough things. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's where a lot of the companies that we've helped have, are now out
1: if i can just build on that briefly richard i think what's another real benefit you know is not just the money and the the spine of the kind of development and then the additional learning that you get but the kind of peer-to-peer learning that you get you know that kind of that kind of root in all of this which is collaboration i think it's really through having those people that operate and typically quite hard to deal with um industries whether it be and you know hard, typically hardware engineering, or there are, there are kind of software and, and app style things as well, but they're all really you got a lot to have a lot of patience. You got you got to fail fast, learn hard, iterate, strengthen, repeat, right? And like that act of like learning from others of of and is just and you know your your peers is just incredibly helpful.
2: One of the things that is is very evident about this area and which shone through all of the turbulence of Brexit, then followed by the turbulence of lockdown, is the, the, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, idealism is probably the right word, but it's more than idealism. It's a sort of um, a desire to take an idealistic view of what one can do to you know, to curb the challenges of climate change, um, allied to a very hard, pragmatic view about, I need to make this company happen. I need to make it grow. I'll do what it takes to make that happen. And I I watch people like Tom and, and another, some of whom he's referred to steering a very difficult course because you can sell out. You, you, you can go and raise money, which will kind of distort your business. In ways that you'd be unhappy with, and what I've been really most proud of is seeing companies like Adaptivate kind of keep on keeping on, and they're all they're all getting there. So by the middle of I think it was 2021, so you know it's still hard times. By that point, it was pretty clear that our startups had raised over a billion dollars in investment. And they were deploying more than a thousand people. I, I in fact, stopped being able to count them. It was just impossible. And they were in in around more than thirty countries around the world, and and different parts of of the UK than London. They're all over the place. So, if you're talking about leveling up, um, as as our former prime minister of sorts was saying he was going to do, we've been doing it without any any of their support. We've just been converting the 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 funding we've got into um the sort of things that tom's doing in bristol you know it's taking it's taking investment that happened first in london support happened in london it's moving it around the country so i'm desperately proud of them and that they made all this stuff happen i just gave them a helping hand to to get started it's truly radical
0: really isn't it (coughs) a radical
2: global effective i i think there's been a failing amongst all of us is that not a failing? A characteristic amongst all of us is we have because there's so much to do. We've been quiet. We've just been getting on. So there's this, there's this stuff going on. You might think of it as underground. It's actually very in much mainstream, in my opinion. Mm. But it's just mm. not very loud. The the diversity of stuff that's out there is just mind boggling. So you know we've got people doing things to enable us to to um, uh, to develop. Fruits and vegetables that will um, will withstand the, the the extreme temperatures, the the flooding, and all the things that are going to happen. And able enable us to react to to climate more quickly. We've got companies doing stuff with uh, making carbon neutral cement, and so on and so forth. If all those technologies were to span the world, um, amongst the group that we've got, we'd be removing over fifteen one five. Percent of all the world's emissions. So you know that it's. I don't. You know. Of course, none of us, neither Tom nor I, can tell you whether everything's going to be successful. It's unlikely that it will. Um, and I suspect we'll all be making our contribution. But it means that you know, from very small amounts of money that we got, we've been able to do really a lot. And I guess now that I'm retiring, what I want to see is that. Um, that more support is given to not just our organization, which we've now relabeled, we're called Undaunted. Um, you know, that those organizations start to emerge and they're doing things, you know, with the same spirit as us. They'll do it different ways. but are creating more and more of these businesses um, that will make a difference. And that quiet as we are at the moment, we'll be making the biggest impact by the time you get to the end of all of this I don't want to call it a transition which is what people call it it's a revolution it's a yeah it's a decarbonization revolution as
1: as, a, as an observation if i can just like the, the early pioneering work that i think richard and the team that you were part of richard but you know certainly been championed by you and recently and your work what for me climate kick Accelerator was so unusual was so early moving and when you've got such a systemic change that needs to happen. There is deep work, thinking, evidence, trial, failure, you know, incremental successes that needs to happen for us to successfully adapt what we're doing on an industrial, what we're doing on a societal, what we're doing on a governmental scale. And 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 capital, of course, kind of fed us all through that. And so I think you know there's a systemic change that needs to happen. And actually, this this climate kick accelerator really enabled some businesses that hadn't got well formulated plans, that hadn't that were t- kind of like I've constantly been called a you know a maverick and, and 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 whatnot. You know, I mean, like yeah, it is it is. But like some of these businesses have been set up to do good first. That capital byproduct doing well will be a byproduct of doing good. And that's a business of the future. You can start to see how the capitalist structures are reframing that right now. And I think the climate kick and accelerator and the work that Richard has been and done and spearheaded has been deep work that takes systemic timeframes. It's not next year. It's not typical VC, three to five year, 5x, 10x returns on things. It's long term stuff. And they gave, they gave the proving ground for that to happen. Think what's also, and now we're starting to see the fruits of, of some of that stuff. It's it's not really fruits, it's probably more budding, actually, if we look at an ecological <laughs> kind of parallel. If it's budding, it's not it's not really actually fruiting yet. And what's really interesting is that the dynamic on, on that is that the metaphorical kind of sun of the market is starting to shine on this stuff, right? Because what we're starting to see. Is market pull demand by a more informed society, depending on where you are in the world, that's going to start to pull this through in absence of government regulation, which is a push. What we're also starting to see is a government regulation that's starting to push these things. And so that deep time or that deep work that's been done since climate kick started and, and, and Richard's pioneering work. And the market increasing market pull combined now with a regulatory push is really starting to be a very interesting time for these innovations that have spent the last time you know, five to ten years doing doing high margin, highly risky um, no confidence in it being in it it being and i've you know adaptivate just speaking from this data point it's not only gone bust like 10
2: times
0: tom can i ask you about that really briefly because because i think this is is fascinating we talk a lot on the podcast about policy the need for policy we talk about regulation you know the the work that that i do my team do we spend a lot of time in the legal frameworks we spend a lot of time looking at at regulatory structures but but you've just said something really key there I think which is you know the, your analogy of the sun of the market you know the uh, shining on your business. That was on
1: the spot I'm not sure if it's yeah, right. Yeah
0: it's really good I yeah. really love it. Um it, h- How important is that because I sense a real sea change here that and actually you know for a long time it's been an excuse for inaction by the government to say that the market will sort this or the market will drive this you know market change will change things but actually a shift in market a shift in the market, a shift in in market priorities and in in investment priorities and in in interest has got to be a good thing, hasn't it? I mean, it isn't the only answer. We do need regulation. We do need uh, regulatory structures. We do need coherent, sensible thought through policy, which is woefully lacking in the space at the moment. But the push of the market has to be of value doesn't it i mean not at the early stage of the sort of businesses we're talking about that are so important through the kick yeah but when you're thinking of scaling when you're thinking of being in every building supply in the uk in europe in the world that's where we do need some market focus isn't it
1: yeah i think i think absolutely you know there's the old there's the old Kind of adage of governments don't do anything until corporates do something, and corporates don't do something, corporations don't do something until the consumer or customer does something, and the customer doesn't do something until regulation starts from the government, and and vice versa, right? And 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 that perpetual cycle is something that's just broken. And so you know, an innovation sits in between you know corporate and and customer, typically you know, or a subsector of that, and 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 investment fuels like all of it, you know. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the investment side, investment's always been capital, um, economic capital. I think what we're starting to understand is that actually carbon has an economic value to it too, and you can start to see that in the future, mar- in the markets, right? And what you're starting then to see is corporates starting to value the cost of carbon because it's coming in from a regulatory point. I think what's interesting, particularly over the last couple of years, is that, you know, you look at COVID, you look at how we responded to um you know a a situation such as that i think the market is more aware of its effect on stuff um if you take the market as people i think the next few years i mean it's very very disturbing to see that we are approaching this 1.5 point sooner than we thought it's going to be a really interesting few years and i think the challenge here is from my point of view, is balancing that market pull or climate, deep, deep, desperate climate emergency, right, with balancing how we scale some of the innovations that have come through accelerators like this how we scale them using capital, right? Using people, how we get the right skills at the right time and how we take the right money at the right time. You know, do we raise 40 million and go quick because we need to build a big facility or do we, you know, raise 10 and do whatever and do it slower? And, you know, that emergency versus scale ramp is, is a big, big, uh, that's the feather on the throttle, right? Or how you set your ships, your sails up on your, on your, on, on your ship. And that's what I'm focused on right now, because you can't afford to fail. And systemically, we need the success stories of what of Richard's work to be high, right? You know, not, not adaptive aside, right? We need the success stories to be high.
2: I would like to respond to this thing about you know the sun's the the the, the, the new economy is kind of emerging, the sun's shining down on things that that were started ten or more years ago. Um, and uh, it was really interesting. This is very current. So, um, I, 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 um, I saw that Lord Ashcroft of the Conservative Party in the Daily Mail does uh, a survey. Um, uh, and, you know, you can imagine he's, he's a Conservative. So it's, it's got a certain kind of bias, but he's done a survey. Uh, I think it's like five, five over 5,000 adults in Great Britain interviewed, um, like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what 's what 's concerning you um, climate and the environment came equal with the economy and jobs and above immigration tax government spending and debt housing crime and policing brexit education national security intervention it, you know so if you 'd like um, that is how much more evidence do you need that data like that is being published in the Daily Mail by um, you know, a person who used to be the chairman of the Conservative Party, um, that people you know, people are saying this matters to us. So that's number one. Number two is that politicians are woefully behind. The current um crop of uh, of, of the political classes are wriggling and squirming. Um in the face of a very small number of, of, of individuals, um, many of whom uh, will, were climate change deniers are now soft soaping climate change We're also uh, not in all cases but in many cases we're also uh, interested in making brexit happen and and not in all but in many cases also deniers of what went uh, what happened to us um, during the COVID pandemic this group this small group of people hold balances of power and that's stopping people uh, politicians from saying some pretty damned obvious things and i, I won't turn on the conservative party and turn on the labor party who um you know had um who had a plan um for um the green economy which they've now done a vault fast on Hugely disappointing. I, 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 wish, I wish that Keir Starmer and Roger would, would, would rethink what they've just done. And why should they do that? It's because if you look at, look at what people say about why we can't do this green stuff, it is, pardon my English, it's complete shit. <laughs> you have choices about what areas of the economy you stimulate. Stimuli will create jobs. It's somehow this, this 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 kind of fiction that it's only the old economy that creates jobs and new economic growth that doesn't. It's absolutely bonkers and they need to get over themselves. They need to have a look at what our companies have done, which is to create huge numbers of jobs, right? For every pound of taxpayer's money, or donors' money that we've spent, about a £100 has been returned in investment. and Those have created jobs, um, which themselves, of course, demand jobs because people, like Tom's company, they need goods from others, so they create economic growth around the place. And I, if, if I ended with anything, if, if, if anything that I'd done had, had been a catalyst, I hope it's that people would st- we'll just stop talking about, in quotes, the costs of the green economy. It's not a cost. <laughs> we challenge, we, we, we address climate change and we create loads of really great jobs um, around all of that. Just stop worrying about this small group of loons who've been twisting the tail of governments for the last decade. Um, and, you know, yeah, I'm not going to say grow some balls because balls are quite sensitive things. And if you kick somebody who's got balls, it's painful. So grow some something or other. Backbone.
0: (laughs) But you've both said we need a revolution. I mean, we need, and, and you started, I think, Richard, by saying we need kind of, you know, there is a societal revolution on the way. And I think that, you know, Tom summed that up, you know, the carbon revolution and the way we work and the way we manage our businesses and the way we support the economy are themselves revolutionary, And, you know, we need bravery in our politicians and and foresight and imagination. And sadly, those two things, those things often don't sit within formal political structures. But it's no coincidence that the Green Party have done so incredibly well in the local elections because people are fed up. And they look at their rivers and they look at their fields and they look at their families and they see that there's a crisis.
1: They need to work out what the the cost is of not doing something. And I think there's a, there's a there's a there's a there's an opportunity which can be catalysed, and I absolutely consider, yeah, completely you know agree with Richard. But there's also a cost of not doing something, and what we're going to start to feel now is 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 is
2: that. If I could tell you something that happened very early on in the in the era of the climate kick, when we were still having to pitch and persuade the, our funders that what we were doing was clever and the right thing to do. Um, and I'm going to rephrase what I had a discussion with with a very eminent um, climate change expert John Schellenhuber, who retired before I did uh, and with the two of us were talking about like when will these people take it seriously and the paraphrased version of that is when climate change becomes personal and it's become personal right it's been personal for people in the in the south in the developing, world um it's personal now right you know the the, those forest fires in Canada I'm pretty sure the extent and the um the intensity the ferocity of it is, is 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 has been stirred up by climate and there are people in New York City who are breathing in particulates which mean that many of them can't get out we had um I measured the temperature of the pavement outside my house last year when we were at 41.1 degrees centigrade it was 53 degrees on the pavement you could not walk in your bare feet on the pavement these are these are real it's personal it, 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 it's no longer like oh yeah sometime in the future it's personal when climate change becomes personal it becomes everybody's problem it becomes everybody's challenge to find solutions I think the great
1: thing is, is Richard's work has put us in good position for lots of businesses latently ready for the sun to shine and the nutrients have been put on them and the and the hard some of the hard work's been done and now what needs to be happening is that that we need to kind of focus our energy on, on, you know, whoever's listening to this, you know, through policy, through regulation, through, you know, people who buy stuff, which is all of us, you know, like we collectively need to to think about how we can do that, you know, and, and things like the Carbon Almanac from, from Seth Godin is a great book of, of of how we can actually really easily do that. Um, but it is, you know, Richard's work has, has put us in a good position to now let the sun shine and, 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 and get, get some of these things to actually make some meaningful international global impact
0: absolutely quietly radical radically radically changing the world (laughs) thank you both so much and richard thank you for for not just for today but for all that you've done and i'm absolutely certain that you're not going to be retiring (laughs) anytime soon so thank you thank you both so much for sharing and tom good luck um we've come come back and talk to us again when you know further down the line and and richard we we won't lose you for the first stages of your retirement they'll give you a week off you know don't be greedy
2: yeah that's all you need <laughs> yeah,
1: you. I, think that's, I think yeah i'd like to say that person as well thank you very much richard you yeah. you and you know all you've done result
2: oh, no you are you're
0: making me blush yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's okay funny. it's audio no one can see so thank you both for being for being with us and thank you to my my producer beth and my executive producer jim and also to everyone who listens to planet pod um we're grateful for your attention take care and we'll see you soon thanks and goodbye you've been listening to planet pod we'd love to hear from you so please do get in touch and don't forget to follow us on social media